three, two, one. Welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast. The podcast for those new members of the running community who want to knock out their first race, whether it's a 5K, full marathon, or anything in between. I am your host, True Bros, a.k.a. Gabe, a.k.a. the two-time dominator of the Dopey Challenge at Walt Disney World, and I am an NCCA-certified personal trainer, gamer, and YouTuber who specializes in helping clients reach their health and fitness goals. This podcast is a dash of motivational words, a chronicle of my running my personal journey on the road to Gainesville, some poor attempts at humor, but above all, it's the place where we cover the marathon mindset the running routines, and everything else you need to know to help you absolutely dominate your first race. As we just covered, twice in my life, I squared up against the Dopey Challenge. And I know a few of you pavement pounders are planning to do the same in just a few short weeks. For those unfamiliar with what some say are the most magical miles in the world, aka Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend, The Dopey Challenge is the ultimate test of strength, endurance, and in my mind, patience. It consists of running a 5K, 10K, half, and full marathon on consecutive days. So those who opt to engage in it have truly earned the title of Dopey in my eyes, because four races in four days? That's no joke. Bear in mind, you're running at the most iconic theme park in the world. Walt Disney World in Florida. So, not only are you going to log 48.6 miles in four days on various race courses, but you're going to be likely visiting the parks and lining up alongside many of those who are not part of the standard race crowd. Because a handful of you longtime listeners have let me know you're going to be taking on this particular challenge, I thought it could be of some small benefit to not necessarily recap my race experience with either Dopey, but to discuss the mistakes I made, the lessons I learned, and helpful tips which may be of some use to those of you who will be taking on this unique challenge. The first subject I think we should dive into is the fact that you are running at Walt Disney World. And as someone who literally just ran the biggest race in the world, the New York City Marathon, I think it bears mentioning the parallels between the two. Not necessarily a run Disney race juxtaposed with New York, but run Disney races with any other big marathon, like a run rock and roll or the Boston Marathon, New York Marathon, anything like that. If you're lining up for the Dopey and this is your first race, well, let me just say you are the absolute embodiment of a psychomaniac because even that would be too ambitious for me. I also hope that you've spent adequate time training, and if you haven't, well, the goal of today's conversation isn't to give you specific training advice, so I wish you the best of luck with your cocky, confident endeavors. But to get back to the subject at hand, the Disney races have an atmosphere unlike any other. Perhaps it's because many of the participants are not quote-unquote hardcore runners, but I can recall going through bib pickup, walking around the corrals, hanging around the start village, and, you know, everything that 
kind of surrounds the race. And I'll say, these races are the most lively and welcoming of any races I have ever ran. Even if I don't plan to run a Run Disney race or any race ever again, I will say that the Run Disney races are a fantastic option for those who want to knock out their first race. Just know that I'm speaking from experience when I say that these are significantly more expensive than other options. That being said, I don't want to get too far off track, so let's talk about the atmosphere. You'll see tons of costumes on course, unique merchandise at the expo, but let's circle back to that typical participant in a run Disney race, because the runners are what makes the atmosphere of a race. And those runners, as they are typically not hardcore runners, quote unquote, that has a unique correlation with the on-course experience. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Every human being needs to complete a full 26.2 mile hitter at least once in their life. I don't care which race start line you decide to line up at, how long it takes, if you're running or walking or a combination of both. I don't care about any of that. Any of those people who are in the start corrals with you, doesn't matter if they're running, walking, or what. So long as they're ready to face off against the dopey challenge or even just the Walt Disney World Marathon, right? Just 26.2 miles. I got mad respect for them. Doesn't matter if they consider themselves a diehard runner or not. They are one. And they're on the cusp of being a marathoner. I bring this up as a way to preface my next statement. Because anyone who is on their journey on the road to Gainesville deserves all the flowers in my book. However, let's say your first race is going to be the WDW Marathon, the Disney World Marathon. Let's say you've trained for the past year or 18 months, or however long, and you're feeling froggy, but you're not wanting to get overzealous when you sign up, so you put your estimated time to completion at six or seven hours, whatever the course limit is. As a result, you're going to end up in one of the later corrals to kick things off. As these races have more people utilizing the run-walk interval method than any other I've ever participated in, You couple that with the fact that this course is quite unique in that you're running primarily in back roads throughout the Walt Disney World complex. And of course, you're going to be running through the theme parks as well. You take all those factors and there's a pretty dang good chance that those first few miles are going to be packed. To give an overview, because I'm not just making this up, right? I'm talking from experience. I participated in three different Walt Disney World Marathon weekends, and in each one, there were numerous points throughout the race where I physically could not run due to the masses of people trying to squeeze through narrow portions of the race course. Additionally, you are inevitably going to encounter some people who are not familiar with race course etiquette, such as raising their hand high, the keyword there is high, when they are going to have a sudden change in pace, such as beginning or ending a running interval. I know, because when I was doing my first dopey challenge and the finish line was inside of my first race, the 5K, I had someone stop right in front of me. And instead of absolutely bulldozing them like I should have, and they rightfully deserved for not raising their hand, 
I made an awkward step in an attempt to avoid them and ended up rolling the heck out of my right ankle. For this litany of reasons, Run Disney races are not the ones I recommend to use when attempting to qualify for a race such as Boston or New York. Given the sheer number of participants, the fact these races are kind of designed to be taken at a slower pace, and the courses not being really conducive to running with a large number of twists and turns, especially with when you're running in a theme park, these just aren't the races for that. They're not super conducive to quote-unquote speed running. That being said, bear in mind, while I was running through the five boroughs of New York, there were tons of spectators and multiple bands or DJs performing. But I couldn't stop for a selfie with Max Goof, nor did I get to run along Main Street USA and approach Cinderella Castle just after daybreak. So, you know, there's always a flip side. This isn't really related, but in addition to those three marathon weekends in Florida, I took on multiple races at Disneyland while those were still being offered. And in all those races, not once, not once, did I see characters from Kingdom Hearts or Darkwing Duck. One of my hotshot listeners sent me a photo when I was at CES 2019, and they were taking on the marathon, and lo and behold, they got to see Darkwing Duck. Cold-blooded Disney, cold-blooded. Anyway, those are the big things I wanted to mention as far as your fellow runners are concerned. Just to keep an eye out and be sure to give yourself some space because the last thing I want is you or someone else to have a preventable injury due to crowds or what have you. For me, the next big thing is transportation. If you saw our NYC video, where we were either doing the marathon or just the general New York vlog, you know that transportation to the start line is a big thing for me. It's something I always want to be cognizant of so I can have all those logistics nailed down prior to race day. I forget the exact time, but I remember some of the Disney literature saying to be at the start village by like 5 a.m. or something like that, even if you were in a super late corral. Now, granted, the upcoming... Disney Marathon weekend is the first since the one I ran in 2020, so maybe something big has changed or maybe they're going to handle things differently. But if not, all that stuff about being there at 5 a.m., if you're in a late corral and the race doesn't start till 7 or something, I mean, that's just bonkers. Like I said, I forget the exact time, but when the wife and I ran in 2020, we started the race around 7 or 8 a.m. or something like that. We showed up to catch the bus from our on-site Disney hotel about an hour before because even if the distance from your hotel to the race start line isn't far, you absolutely want to give yourself some time because those buses move at a snail's pace due to congestion, road closures, all that kind of fun stuff. So to give yourself a bit of a buffer, I'd say at least 75 to 90 minutes between boarding the bus from your on-site hotel to when you're supposed to start, I think that that's an adequate amount of time to give yourself to, you know, account for any delays, going through security, maybe grabbing a banana, using the facilities, what have you. So be outside your door 
75 to 90 minutes before you're supposed to start. And I had mentioned, you know, grabbing a banana, using the facilities, because I'm pretty sure they have bananas at the start village. On the subject of facilities, the start corrals at the Run Disney races are absolutely massive. Easily the biggest corrals I've ever seen. And because of this, restrooms are not actually in the corrals like they are at the Rock and Roll or the New York City Marathon. So the corrals, you know, they're typically just these big, like, temporary metal fences. But the ones at Disney, at least, you know, all the races I ran, there were hundreds of runners in each corral. So, you know, we're going to talk about how I fueled and hydrated over the course of the weekend in a few minutes. But my biggest gripe with the Run Disney races has always been the start corrals and their proximity to restrooms. As someone who is always hydrated out of their mind, and especially so on race day, considering the size of the corrals, this means if you get there early and literally hundreds of other runners are in front of and behind you, you're likely going to have to navigate through a mass of people to use the restroom before getting back to your corral. And for this reason, I see no benefit to being at your corral crazy early because hypothetically, because obviously I didn't count everybody, but let's say 500 people are in your corral, corral B, and you're in the front. That's great. You're going to start, I don't know what, two minutes before the last person in corral B. I see no benefit to be at the front for that. You're just going to stand around and your time could be better spent, you know, assuming you were there before you actually have to start in the start village with access to water and other amenities. So we've discussed the things to know about the race itself, as well as the start village a little bit. And you're going to become real familiar with that start village if you're running four races in four days. But let's talk about the fun stuff. Fueling, aka what we're eating. Now, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, I am only a certified personal trainer. I'm not a registered dietitian, a nutritionist, or some kind of medical professional. I mention this because I'm not going to recommend you to eat or take any kind of supplement, nothing like that. Now, that being said, in the interest of transparency, I'm going to tell you what I've taken, what I was eating, all that kind of stuff, so I can communicate what worked for me in the past. Water is always the big deal for me, and I'll admit I'm not the biggest fan of the water available around the Disney Resort via taps and faucets. The most economical and environmentally friendly option is to pack a water bottle with you, which has some kind of filter. Considering most, you know, bottled water available for purchase is just filtered anyway, no point in taking something real fancy, you know. That being said, my laziness coupled with limited packing space, has gotten in the way of my frugality and environmentally friendliness more often than not. For the most recent trip to Disney, the wife and I ordered a Prime Now or Prime Delivery thing, and we scheduled it for like an hour after we arrived at the hotel. And we had everything delivered to Bell Services at the Pop Century Hotel we stayed at. We ordered a case of bottled water, a pack of bagels, some energy drinks, and some bottled coffee drinks because, you know, we only needed the essentials. Sure, we had to lug the stuff around to our room, and obviously we tipped the people at Bell Services, but this meant we were essentially paying a little more than quote-unquote real-world grocery store prices, and not the exorbitant markup 
that you're going to pay when you're on site at Disney or on a cruise or like in a Vegas hotel or something like that. Prior to the NYC marathon, before every race, I had the exact same meal. So the 12 or 13 races I ran before New York, I always had the exact same thing. I'd have a bagel or two if I was starving with peanut butter and about three cups of coffee with creamer. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I always felt good during each race. So this was my pre-race meal for years. Now bear in mind, if you're staying on-site at a Disney resort, and for our previous races, we stayed at the Port Orleans French Quarter and then Pop Century, you can likely pick up a bagel and a pack of peanut butter from the food courts, which I know I did on occasion. That being said, I'm all about saving the cash, so I would prefer to either pack bagels with me or have them shipped via Amazon, because I'm pretty sure the peanut butter, it used to just be like out where the fountain drinks were. Obviously, that might have changed, but I would just go like buy a coffee from there and then get the little peanut butter thing. But the bagels were like three bucks a pop, so I just order a pack to get delivered. Now for the dopey challenge, you've got to stay in a constant state of hydration, which isn't the easiest thing to do in between visiting theme parks, constantly being on the go, and, you know, living your best life. For each of my dopey challenges, I stuck to the following cadence. I'd have a bagel and peanut butter in the morning before each race, because although I'm not averse to bananas, I've just never craved them when waking up super early. Post-race, I'd have breakfast at the hotel food court. Typically, it was something like pancakes or French toast and some protein like bacon or sausage. Although, I typically avoid the eggs at the Disney food courts because I've always found them to be a bit too rubbery for my tastes. So let's assume that you flexed on the 5K, and now you've got a full day ahead of you before your next race. What are you going to do? If you're me, and you're at Disney, the answer is pretty dang simple, and that's head over to Disney's Hollywood Studios to visit Galaxy's Edge. This is the primary reason I say it is much more intelligent to pack a reusable water bottle with a filter, because you can fill it up to your heart's content and constantly be pounding water. Otherwise, you're going to spend at least three bucks or something picking up a bottled water. And even if you refill that one at a water fountain and, you know, if you're picky like me, it's not going to taste great. And even if you don't mind the taste, that's still three bucks a day. You're going to spend buying at least one bottle of water, which, you know, over the course of four days is 12 bucks, which is twice as much as you would pay for a case of water to get delivered to you via Amazon. So enough about the, the frugality. Let's get back to the how I was fueling during my dopies. So that was the morning. That was post-race. But during the day, for me, it was all about two things. Making sure each meal had a serving of carbs and protein and drinking more water and sports drinks than I'm accustomed to. I've mentioned it before, but I sweat like crazy. So dehydrating is something I need to contend with regularly. Granted, it's not so much of an issue after a 5K, but the hydration process typically begins three days before a race. And if we're thinking about the Disney Marathon, that means it begins the day of the 5K. Except instead of being at home with access to all the water and smart meal choices in the world, I'm trapped inside the Disney bubble 
which means I've got to operate within the confines of that environment. This means I'm primarily eating sandwiches or something similar for every meal, or a vegetarian or vegan dish if they're heavy on quinoa and or rice but don't have mushrooms because you know mushrooms are the worst. Pasta is something you can typically find in bountiful supply in both the parks and resort dining spaces, but anything too oily tends to bother me in the tum-tum, so I'm mostly sticking to bagels, pastries, sandwiches, rice bowls, all that type of stuff. And as much as it truly pains me to say this, I'm also avoiding booze because when your eye is on the prize, I mean, that's not something that does you any favors. When it comes to water consumption, we're all different. I tend to drink over a gallon a day, but that's because of uh, my propensity to sweat like the dickens. And when I'm taking my allergy medications, that dries me out and makes me extra thirsty. So I'm typically over a gallon a day. You take all those things together, right? And that's a recipe for dehydration. So I pound a ton of water. And I also typically don't have any sports drinks like Gatorade or Powerade, except for after an extended run in in the Texas heat. But after the 10K, and especially after the half, I was always concerned about any lingering dehydration concerns. So I tend to have one Gatorade a day in between imbibing my copious amounts of water. Truth be told, that's probably not particularly necessary, considering, considering the high amounts of sodium and sugar I'm having when adventuring around the parks. But I'm all about keeping it real with y'all, and this was the cadence that I stuck to as far as my food was concerned. Lots of sandwiches, water, pastries, caffeine, the occasional protein shake, rice bowls, occasional sports drinks were primarily what I was munching on during the time between races, as I never found the fruit available for purchase to be particularly appealing or affordable. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about active and physical recovery. These are concepts we've unpacked at great length in previous discussions, but the Dopey Challenge is a unique situation in a myriad of ways. For example, my usual pre-race routine is to begin hydrating extra crazy three days before race day walk a few miles in the two days leading up to the race or go for a nice easy run if I'm at home. And I roll out for about 20, 15 minutes or so the night before a race. I wake up early race morning. I have a carb and protein heavy meal, such as my bagels with peanut butter. Then I head out to the start line. There's no in-between recovery since there's nothing to recover from prior to lining up at the race start. However, when you've got to run four races in four days, it's a unique experience. As we alluded to during my first dopey, I was dealing with an ankle in pretty dang rough shape after only the first race, and I still had three to go. If you recall our last discussion where we unpacked my marathon mentality during the NYC race, you'll remember how I mentioned the mindset for me used to be hyper-aggressive. And I had trouble reconciling that. Well, during each of my dopey challenges, I was full on in the psychomaniac mindset. And my first dopey was only my second marathon. Imagine the headspace that I was in when I rolled my ankle after the 5K. Still had three races to go. And oh, by the way, 
the half marathon gets canceled due to weather? Did I use that time to rest and ice my ankle like I should have, considering I still wanted to tackle the full marathon? I was getting a refund for the canceled race, and I was getting a medal regardless? If you listen to any of our previous episodes, you know dang well the smart option was not the one I went for. Of course not. Like a bona fide psychomaniac, I woke up early, the day of the canceled half marathon, ran a cool 13.1 miles around the Port Orleans Resort, looping both hotels, I want to say like eight or nine times, but honestly, I could be misremembering. As someone who doesn't like running in the rain and was dealing with a lot of ankle pain, this was a brutal experience mentally. And it was something I absolutely should not have done physically. Like we discussed in our last episode, we tend to praise those who push themselves harder than others. But there's always a flip side to that. Ultimately, we are responsible for our physical and mental well-beings. And we should not push ourselves too hard and risk long-term damage. Especially when it was like a divine intervention to have that race canceled when I needed it. I didn't take the signs, no. I just went and ran like a dummy. I give this little anecdote about my initial dopey experience to illustrate a couple things. First off, the mindset was in a hyper-aggressive and pretty dang bad place due to inexperience and my dealing with the ankle. Second, when it came time to recover, I was trying anything and everything. Now bear in mind, I'm one of those people who doesn't really like taking any medication whatsoever. But, you know, the ankle was killing me. I was icing, I was elevating whenever I wasn't standing. And at the time, I was popping either ibuprofen or Aleve. I forget which it was. But I was popping those regularly. And all I truly needed was time off. But of course, at the time, I was never going to admit that. If I've said it once, I've said it a billion times. I'm just a certified personal trainer. I'm not a medical professional. I'm also a staunch advocate of going off of feel. And I know how I felt during my first dopey. I absolutely should have stopped running. And it took about a month for me post-race to fully recover. Undoubtedly, that can be attributed to the fact I kept running when I shouldn't have. I want my example to serve as a cautionary tale for you. I provide the disclaimers about the course not being conducive to running quickly, the fact there's a chance you may encounter severe crowding, and there's a fair chance many of your compatriots are not hardcore runners. None of this is a detriment to your ability to knock out your dopey, na na na. These are just things you need to be cognizant of when you're actually on the race course. Watch your step. Be aware of those around you, stick to your game plan, and it'll all go smooth. I know we got sidetracked a little bit, so I'd like to circle around to my second dopey experience, where I'd been there, done that. This time, I was doing everything I told y'all to do. I was being cautious on the course, blah, blah, blah. The first time I went through that trial, I was in so much pain from my ankle, and abso-freaking-lutely should not have been running that I don't really remember the day-to-day other than icing all the time. The second time around, though, baby, baby, I've been running for years at this point. Not to say that 
I was so fast or logging so many training miles, don't get it twisted. I did do tons of back-to-back training runs, like one should, to get accustomed to the rigors of running on consecutive days. But even when it came to high mileage, I was normally topping topping out around the 16 or 20 mile mark. I knew I was going to be doing this race with my lovely wife, and it's not like we were planning to set any records during any of the races. Given this was going to be her first and last hurrah against the dopey, and I just wanted to avenge my first experience, our goal was really just to finish each race. As part of the training cycle, I began to experiment with taking different supplements. And yes, I'm about to give y'all yet another disclaimer, because again, I'm not a medical professional. This is all just stuff I tried. And since I'm all about keeping it 100 with y'all, I'm literally just saying what I did and what worked for me. We all have different body chemistries and medical conditions and all that, so don't think of this as a ringing endorsement or interpret this as my saying you absolutely need to try something or stay away from something. I did try some things which I felt like helped my performance during my second dopey, so we're going to dive into that, but I just want to reiterate I'm not bashing or praising any of these products. I'm literally just going off of feeling. And sure, I noticed a difference, but I was also eating differently. I I was hydrating better. I weighed a different amount. I had tons more miles under my belt. So it's not like the second dopey challenge was a clinical trial or anything. It was literally just me going off how I felt. During my first few races, I remember taking the first few races I ran total, not during the dopey to clarify. I remember taking an Onnit supplement called Shroom Tech Sport because... It was purported to improve your recovery, improve your performance, help you stay focused, all that sort of fun stuff. And I remember during those first few races, I really felt like it helped me stay mentally dialed in when I was on course. Now, fast forward to my first dopey, and I'd pretty much stopped taking it entirely. I was substituting the supplements, say that 10 times fast, with increased caffeine consumption and more importantly, the marathon mentality I'd been cultivating over the years. And at least for me, focus no longer became something I struggled with maintaining on a race course. For the dopey specifically, when the second one rolled around, not only did I have tons more experience, but by that point I had tried so many different supplements purporting to improve performance in some way, yet I never felt a physical difference. That being said, each night before hitting the hay in the week leading up to and during both dopies, I was taking a handful of things. As I alluded to earlier, or not even alluded to, straight up said, I'm absolutely one of those people who doesn't like taking any type of medication. And this predilection eventually evolved to include various purported performance-enhancing supplements, because for me, I never felt a genuine difference once I had gained experience and confidence in my physical abilities. As I began to gravitate towards more natural supplements and not big brand names, I settled in on a few items. In the seven days leading up to the dopey, and during the first, I took psyllium fiber husk caps. Again, Not a medical expert, but fiber helps you stay full 
and from a restroom standpoint, helps you maintain regularity. Considering the dopey schedule will have you waking up around 3 a.m. four days in a row, scheduling everything (laughs) helps at least in my eyes. This also means, because uh, I was taking pretty much just raw fiber, that I needed to up my water intake. So again, that water bottle with a filter would have been a really nice thing to have around the Disney Resort. We'll come back around to the schedule of the dopey in a minute. But while we're on the subject of supplements, I only took two more things on actual race days. I take turmeric, which is a spice, but obviously this is in a pill form. It's a supplement which I feel helps improve my recovery right after a race. So I take it right after the race and right before bed. And also right before bed, I would take either one or two ibuprofen. I think I did one the night of the 5K, the one of the 10, the night of the 10K, and then two the night of the half marathon. So all in all, during the dopey, I took three quote-unquote supplements with me to Florida. Psyllium fiber husk caps, which are literally just bottles of fiber, turmeric pills, and ibuprofen. That is it. I used to think that I needed to try the latest supplement to help me improve, but over time, I came to realize that, at least for me, I felt like I was sort of compensating for my lack of experience. I mean, I signed up for my first marathon with about three months notice, despite never being much of a runner. And the NYC marathon, granted this came with different circumstances, but it was five years later and I signed up for that with 50 days notice. So I have a tendency to not be afraid to pull the trigger on things last minute. Over the years... As I've gained more experience and my body has gotten accustomed to both the rigors of running and overall increased activity, I don't notice a genuine difference with anything other than those three supplements I still take, turmeric, fiber, and ibuprofen if needed. Now again, that's just me, and I'm not saying you need to try all of those, even though they're not like big brand names. Even if most supplements you can buy are little more than glorified vitamins, Given that I don't have the medical credentials or certifications to provide a professional opinion, I tend to just kind of keep all those thoughts to myself. My thought process is, physical activity is the one thing where there are no shortcuts. So long as you put in adequate time and effort, you're fueling and hydrating intelligently, and you're getting enough sleep, your body will take care of the rest. That being said, All of that is much easier said than done. However, that doesn't change the fact that there are no shortcuts to improving your physical prowess. Because of this, during the dopey, the three things I take or took are designed at keeping my body running like clockwork and reducing soreness. That's it. I also rolled out extensively with a foam roller every night and in the morning to help keep myself feeling loose. And then I'd spend the majority of each day walking around the park in comfortable running shoes to keep just feeling loose and really because the idea of just sitting around each day at Walt Disney World and not going out and riding rides and drinking blue milk and taking photos with stormtroopers, not doing all that sounds like a total bore to me. This is not really, I I guess it is more of a tip, but I would say, I don't know how many pairs of running shoes you own. I think everybody should have at least two. I would say take both of them with you to the dopey because it's a great feeling if you're going to go out and walk around to be able to go back and change into a new pair of shoes for each day and or for each race. 
So earlier we discussed how in previous years, because we got to add that caveat, we don't know how this is going to look for 2022. The run Disney bus transportation, if you're staying at an on-site Disney hotel, is solid. You just need to realize it will be a lengthy trip due to traffic and road closures. To come back to that, the schedule for the Dopey might be the most grueling aspect of it. Other than, you know, having to log 48.6 miles in four races spread across four days. It's dang near impossible to underestimate the physical component of this challenge. And I'm not trying to in the slightest. However, I'm operating under the assumption if you're scoring off against the dopey, you know what you're getting yourself into. That's why we're focusing on everything else other than running. As far as the schedule's concerned, both times I took on the challenge, I wasn't as well rested as I should have been. Why might you ask? Because of the reasons we just talked about. Because I'm at Walt Disney World, bro. This means... I'm up early for the races. I'm going back to my hotel to shower and then I'm getting ready for post race. Then I'm either going into the parks or I'm running around Disney Springs and I'm shutting both down each night to enjoy the atmosphere after dark. Getting up at 3 a.m. each day for a race is anything but fun. And the reason I stress we're not talking about the physical wear and tear required to take on four races in four days and we're operating under the assumption you're already well aware how much it's going to take to do this is to preface my next statement. Now to a non-runner, this is going to sound outlandish. But for those of you who are accustomed to pounding the pavement regularly, you're used to knocking out your high mileage training runs during your you know, your work schedule, your life schedule, and you know how difficult it is to knock out multiple miles on consecutive days, this next statement isn't going to sound crazy. Waking up at 3 a.m. for four days in a row is quite possibly the hardest part of the dopey challenge. Of course, we're not discounting the physical component, don't get it twisted, but there are a plethora of variables you can't plan or train for, such as transportation and the weather. And the alarm going off at 3 a.m. day after day, that's something you can't train for. And unless it's required by your profession, I doubt it's something you'll be able to get used to. By the time the half marathon rolled around and I was on my third day of waking up way too far before the sun, I was absolutely gassed. I was feeling physically inebriated. I'm feeling like I'm drunk due to the lack of sleep. That being said, second time we took on the dopey, the day after the half marathon, we did not go into the parks. We just kind of hung around the hotel. We went for a walk around the grounds. I think we might have had lunch or dinner at Disney Springs. So we kind of just ate as healthy as we could and, you know, hydrated out of our minds. If I have one suggestion for the Dopey or the Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend that absolutely sounds better on paper than it does in all reality, it's this one. Try and go to bed at a decent hour the first three nights of the Dopey. It takes us a few days to get adequately hydrated. Like I said, approximately three. When it comes to sleep, I know for me... It takes me a couple of days of going to bed at a decent hour to feel like I'm well rested, like I'm in a fallout game. Given that you're out Disney, this might sound like a Herculean task, and I'm right there with you. But if you go back to your room by 
7.30 or 8 p.m. each night and you're in bed by 9, I mean, that's about six hours of sleep. We all deal with varying amounts of sleep differently. And for me, six hours a night is not bad for a four-day period. Each time I ran Dopey, I was burning the candle at both ends. And I was getting around three hours of sleep each night, which is far from ideal. Except for, like I said, that night before the second marathon. But this primarily meant by the day of the half and the fulls that I was feeling exhausted. I had headaches, I had stomach aches, and while I was able to offset a majority of that by literally just pounding insane amounts of water and caffeine, ideally, you would not be pushing yourself so hard just to get to the race course. While the lack of sleep did not hinder my ability to complete either challenge, it certainly didn't help me in the slightest. And I wish I had gone to bed just a few hours earlier each night, so... I could actually enjoy my days at the park and enjoy my time on the race course instead of just feeling physically drained. In summary, the suggestions, the tips from somebody who has been there before for the Dopey Challenge for the Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Get adequate rest. Eat your meals as balanced as you possibly can given the environment. Prepare for any potential variances in weather by packing some throwaway clothes that you can donate at the start line or in the start village. If you find yourself in need of an affordable top layer, like I did during my second challenge, there's a unique low at Disney Springs which makes decent quality clothes at a very reasonable price. And actually, this was something that I don't think we we touched on during the New York City Marathon episode, but when I arrived at Disney for the second dopey, it was freezing. It was like 40 degrees, which I think for most people is freezing. And I had packed a sweater, but not for running. So I needed to pick up a couple affordable top layers. So I went to Uniqlo, got a couple pairs of running pants and a running jacket. And I used those and it was probably $50. Like the clothes are really good quality for the price. By the time the marathon came around, it was hitting 90 degrees. So, you know, I was able to use that as throwaway clothes, but I'm just saying Be cognizant of the weather with Florida. Make sure you check the forecast. Obviously, don't pack everything in the kitchen sink, but just know that if you do need to get some additional kind of cold weather clothes, Disney Springs has Uniqlo, which is a fantastic option. To get back to the overall summary of the tips, if you're looking to save money on food, consider getting grocery delivery or swinging by a local grocery store. Be sure to use the Disney-provided transportation if you're able. Check the approximate start times for each wave of your race. You can get this info at the Expo. And bear in mind, and I'm actually it might even be in the little pamphlets they give you, but bear in mind, it may take you a while to arrive at the Start Village using the Disney-provided transportation. Also, don't forget, you're going to be lining up alongside a number of non-runners. And the course isn't exactly conducive to speed running. So temper your expectations before you arrive and just plan on having fun and finishing each race in the upright position. I know that sounds like a lot to be cognizant of, but if you've tackled a race before, these are all things you are taking inventory of and are aware of. The Dopey Challenge is unique, not just for the sheer amount of miles you'll be logging on consecutive days. 
but also because of the location and the runners who opt to participate. As someone who was always concerned with logistics, I hope this helps ease your mind if you're one of those psychomaniacs who is going to go square up against the dopey for the first time. Even if it doesn't help that much, hey, I know you're absolutely going to dominate that challenge. And if you see Darkwing Duck on the race course or any of the characters from Kingdom Hearts, do me a solid and tweet me a photo. Also, last thing, even if the blue and green milks in Galaxy's Edge aren't that great, be sure to try it from the stand and get the booze added if you're of age because hot dang, that's a nerd life dream come true. Just be sure to do it after the full marathon. I appreciate you spending some time with me today and I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. We drop new episodes whenever we have a new topic to discuss, so make sure you smash that subscribe button. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at AnyoneCanRunPod. If you enjoy Anyone Can Run, notify a fellow runner or someone who wants to kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville. If you need more gains, do me a solid and pound that subscribe button on YouTube as I'm typically dropping two videos a week. It also helps when you leave a quick rating and review in your podcast app of choice to help us dominate the charts. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast. And if you did, don't forget to pound that subscribe button. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you pay for. And regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.